Hi, and welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, February 17th. I'm Avery Foley, and I'm here with Dr. Jennifer Rivera and Tim Chafee. Um, we have a studio audience. You guys want to clap and say hello to our online viewers? So we got a couple things to talk about here as we wait for people to jump on. Um, first thing we want to mention is we have high school labs taking place here at the Creation Museum. Yeah, so we're actually going to be offering four high school labs next year. We're adding our earth and physical science, which is going to be oh, all on cool. course. I know, it's exciting. Uh, Mr. Roger Patterson from Unlocking Science is going to be teaching part of that course. Uh, and we also have our forensic science and biology and chemistry that will be returning next year. Uh, and hopefully registration goes live uh, in March. March? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so be sure to mark that on your calendar. Those are going to be awesome. Um, so those are great for, like, homeschool students yes. who mm -hmm. aren't able to do, um, you know, or it's very difficult to do an actual, like, lab, hands-on stuff, this is a great way to introduce them some hands-on science and really help them um, to fall in love with that and to be taught through the lens mm -hmm. of a biblical worldview. And right here in our lab at the Creation Museum, so mm -hmm. we're very excited about that uh, and also making plans for our lab at the Ark Encounter. Uh, inside the Answer Center coming soon. So that is very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> All right. The other thing we want to mention here as people jump on is Answers Bible Curriculum for Homeschool, um, which we have launched and is shipping, and we're very excited about that. Um, this is a chronological four-year Bible curriculum. It goes through the entire Bible in four years. Um, it teaches apologetics, teaches God's Word as the foundation, um, the attributes of God, life application, all kinds of great stuff in there. There's really um, no other Bible curriculum out there quite like it. Um, and so we encourage parents to check that out. It's an excellent, excellent homeschool curriculum. Um, so you go to answersbiblecurriculum.com where you can see some sample lessons. There's a video component to that that um, Brian Osborne and I did. You can check out some of the sample videos there or see some of those on answers.tv if you have an Answers TV subscription. Um, so be sure to check that out. All right, our first one here, our fun fluff item. Uh, this one is from a, this is a bit of a viral post um, about an unfortunate thing that happened to this lawyer who was, uh, obviously a lot of court proceedings have been taking place over Zoom instead of in a more traditional setting due to everything going on. And um, this happened to one unfortunate lawyer who was talking to a judge. I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to. Uh, uh, take, take we're trying look. to. We're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. <laughs> it, it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, He's just going to go live. That's not. I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. That was uh was pretty hilarious there. He's uh I loved how the mouth and eyes were moving and everything. It just added to the hilarity of the entire situation. I didn't even know there was such a filter in Zoom. So I learned something new when <laughs> I saw this class. I'm sure gonna make sure before my next Zoom meeting yes. that I don't have a filter. The important thing on. about the filters is to know how to turn them on and how to turn them yes. off, just in case. Yeah, I might be a little cynical. I think it was set up. But, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm cynical because I don't like cats and so Wow. Turn me off, but I mean, if it's real, <laughs> if it's legit, and that really happened, it's pretty funny. But um, I, you know, sometimes people are looking for things to do that will be silly that will make them go viral, and this could definitely be one of them. But uh, um, yeah, this was oh, it was great. All right, <laughs> um, our next one here comes from Science Daily: from fins to limbs. How did forelimb function change as vertebrates acquired limbs and moved onto land? 
And so this is talking about the evolution of um, four-limbed vertebrates or tetrapods. Um, it's believed that originally, you know, we had these um, aquatic ancestors that gradually evolved the ability to go onto land, um, and that gave rise to all the different creatures that live on land today, including us. And there's a lot of controversy about what that creature looked like and, and all of that. So this article is another study trying to figure out what that creature might have been like and how it might have been able to move, looking at some, some fossils of um, some of these uh, different creatures. And it is important, too, they addressed in the article pretty much at the beginning that, you know, when you see a fossil, you don't have the muscles intact and you don't have any mm -hmm. soft tissue. So you're really just looking at the skeletal structure. And it's very difficult to truly understand how something, you know, would move and, and interact without having that present. And they did at least say that's mm -hmm. one of the most challenging tasks that they have is the fact that they don't have those features present. Mm -hmm. So they tried to create like a three-dimensional um, skeleton and then put muscle on it and then use a computer to kind of figure out how it might have moved, what it might have looked like. Um, and what they found was that it didn't have, they, they, they were looking at, they looked at three different groups. They looked at this one fossil group and then they looked at um, some like lungfish type creatures or what they believe to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then some other tetrapods. Um, I believe it was salamanders and lizards. Mm -hmm. And then they compared those three and they found out that this particular fossil specimen they were looking at didn't really move like either of those. It kind of had its own aquatic movement. So the results, um, and you might be shocked by this, is that the, the tetrapod limbs, you know, these creatures that go in the water, what do you think they were best used for? For walking or for swimming? <laughs> swimming. swimming. It's yeah. a shocking they, they study. They weren't good for supporting their weight, but they were good for going backwards and forwards and not for supporting their weight. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's designed to do what it does do, and what it does do, it does do well. Mm -hmm. and, and so evolutionists have created this story where they try to line things up. Here's how this would have progressed. And... Uh, so they, they think that this is one of these, I don't know if you want to call it a transitional fossil, but something that would be similar to that. Right. And this is how things came up on land for the first time. And, and yet that's not the case, just because some creatures might be able to, quote unquote, walk along the bottom of the, of the sea or their mm -hmm. fins do something a little bit different than what some fish do. It doesn't make it a, a creature that's walking on land. Right, yeah. yeah a lot of this was based on computer on models, and computer mm -hmm. models are made by the scientists and the information needed to compute that information is created by the scientists. And so they even said they manipulated the models in the software. So, you know, right. some if of one the of their assumptions is wrong, then, then anything yeah. results from that's going to be wrong as well. Right. Yeah, it's so. all yeah. garbage in, garbage out. Not that necessarily right. it's garbage. I mean, what right. they, you can have computer simulations that are really good and helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, it's a helpful tool. But if you already have a, a wrong idea and you're putting mm -hmm. that in, mm -hmm. then you're not going to get the right solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one comes from Gizmodo. Huge fish once believed extinct isn't the living fossil scientists thought. So talking about these supposed like transitional forms between um, ocean-dwelling aquatic type creatures and, and tetrapods on land, the coelacanth, which is an, uh, a fish that was believed for a long time to be extinct, was once considered one of those perhaps transitional forms. And then in 1938, it was found living fine <laughs> in the ocean. A fisherman pulled it up in his net. Um, so it, that was the zoological discovery of the century, which was considered that. Um, and they've continued to study this fish since, and they've done a new um, recent DNA analysis looking at the DNA of coelacanths, and they're saying, well, this particular species of fish has acquired dozens of new genes in the past 23 million years. Now, how did they come to that conclusion? <laughs> Well, they didn't come to that conclusion by comparing the DNA of living coelacanths with 
fossilized coelacanths. They don't have that DNA. It's too degraded. They can't, they can't figure that out. They just looked at the DNA of the modern coelacanths and saw these, these differences and thought, oh, well, these must have evolved within the last 23 million years. That's an assumption based on an evolutionary starting point, not based on the actual observational evidence. Mm -hmm. Right, they compared the ones that they said diverged like 23 million mm -hmm. years ago. The ones, two the ones near species, Africa yeah. versus the ones over in South, near Southeastern Asia mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. They said these ones are, they diverged 23 million years ago, so let's look at the number of differences and some of these mm -hmm. other things that they have. Um, and they were, it got, it got, gets complicated, right, as far as mm -hmm. the, some of yeah. the terminology, these yes. transposons <laughs> and everything. But it's kind of interesting. They're making such a big deal about it. And then the researcher said, I'd also want to point out that these transposons that we, we studied are no longer able to jump around the coelacanth genome. So they're not even doing what the article said everything was based on. Mm -hmm. Right, because they actually said that part of those genes that they acquired, they said were now inactive, and they, they were talking And they about don't really know what they do, there, they and it's poorly understood. Right. A lot of assumptions, lot of assumptions going assumptions. into this. Um, but these fish are really, really neat. They're extremely unique. They have, um, for example, they're the only vertebrate that's able to open both the top and bottom of their jaw in order to swallow larger prey, which is pretty cool. Um, and they have special lobed fins, which um, is uh, not, very, uh, not a very common feature. Different things like that um, that make them pretty unique. Uh, but and they're pretty big, too. I don't think yeah, people realize like how... Yeah, they six feet long. Large, yeah, yeah, they're, they're huge. Um, but they have not been around for 300 plus million years. No. Um, and the reason they're called living fossils is because the fossilized versions look stunningly similar to the ones that are now living in the deep ocean. Um, so that's why they're considered to be living fossils, very little change. So if there's been you know, dozens of new genes that they've somehow managed to acquire, there, we should see differences then expressed in how they look now versus then, but we really don't. They look very similar. There's some variation there, but by and large, they're very, very similar. So that suggests that this study is just based on a lot of different assumptions that coming from an evolutionary worldview. Yeah, the, the conclusion, the, the person said, I, I always like the concept of living fossils, but I'm sufficiently persuaded that it's a bogus concept. Sure, animals can superficially resemble their distant ancestors, but it's the parts beneath the hood that tell the whole story. So what they're saying is, there's, a, there's always evolution taking place. There's always change. Right. We just might even not see, see it. it. On, yeah, <laughs> even so, 330 million years or 360 million years, oh, yeah, it didn't really change on the outside, but it must be changing on the inside. Mm -hmm. So yeah. evolution's still happening. Again, is an evolutionary um, assumption. It was a coelacanth in the fossil record. It's mm -hmm. still so a coelacanth. It's, a coelacanth. <laughs> it's yeah. not evolution. Created by on day five of Creation Week by Looks God. Looks very similar. And I'm yeah. pretty sure, like, if you did a genetic study between the three of us, there's going to be some differences. Right. But it doesn't mean one of us is non-human or two, you know, we're still just human beings. Well, one of us is incredibly taller than the other two. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Avery. Oh, yeah, it's me. Five foot two me over here is the incredibly tall one, yes. <laughs> All right. All right, this next one comes from the very respected fact-checking site, Snopes. Why creationism bears all the hallmarks of a conspiracy theory. So they are very, they, no, they note on the top of the article that this has been pub, um, republished with permission and it does not, however, represent the work of their fact checkers. So they're doing what they tell people not, not to, to do, do, which is share something without fact checking it, which is what they tell other people not to do. But did they, did the person who wrote this article initially get everything right, Tim? Not even close. <laughs> now, this is, this is written by a professor, an atheistic professor over in the UK. Who really to, hates creationists. Yeah, really does not like really, creationists and used really to teach here in the them. States. But the, the whole idea that this is a conspiracy theory, to have a conspiracy theory, there must be an alleged conspiracy. conspiracy. You know, like the, the flat earth, people would say that, right. that the governments are hiding something from you and keeping mm -hmm. this truth from you, okay? 
we don't claim that about the evolutionists. We don't right. say there's some grand conspiracy behind the scenes that all these you know, scientists are indoctrinated into. That's not our position, and it never has been our position. Right, yeah. It's just that since the late 1700s, the early 1800s, the dominant paradigm for teaching about science has been a uniformitarian view, which teaches long mm -hmm. ages, and so everybody is taught in from that perspective, so it makes sense that the majority of scientists are going to follow that perspective. It's not some grand conspiracy. We're not alleging a conspiracy. So just on that, they get it's it wrong. wrong right? But just about everything else in this article is wrong as well. Just a little bit. Uh, it talks about how crea you know, we can't just ignore this because creation is dangerously opposed to science, which ignores the fact that the majority of the fathers of all the modern scientists, sciences were all Christians. creationists. Yeah. Christians, mm -hmm. most mm -hmm. of them you know, believe the Bible. Many of them started with God's word as the framework for their thinking when it came to science. So they kind study of science. handily ignores yeah, that they fact. They study science for the purpose of glorifying God mm -hmm. and manifesting his creation. Did you know that when you were so, doing forensics, you were dangerously opposed to science? I, Did I, you know yeah, that? Yeah, Dr. Rivera, how science. dare you? <laughs> That's shameful. I mean, but the, the article is pretty shameful. I mean, they, the, right oh, away, they, they poison the well by talking about QAnon and some of these other conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. and they're setting you up to say, see, young earth creations are the same thing. And, same and thing. we've seen this in other areas. Or they, they say that mm -hmm. our position is that, according to Answer Genesis, evolution science is a work of Satan. And they provide a link to an article that never says that. Right. And in so. fact, that isn't mm -hmm. our position. We don't say that. Um, now, we don't deny the existence and reality of Satan. We mm -hmm. don't deny that there are, uh, that there are mm -hmm. bad ideas out there, doctrines of demons the Bible talks about, but we don't say every evolutionist is working for Satan. I mean, that's, right, <laughs> that's yeah. not our position. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they almost make it sound, you know, they say such beliefs derive from the doctrine of biblical infallibility. Well, we would say... Yes, we do believe the Bible is infallible. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ himself says in the Bible, you know, that it is infallible and it is the spoken word of God. And, you know, they make it sound like it's something that we should be ashamed right, to right. stand on. But, I mean, the Bible we, is clear that unapologetically it can be trusted yes, on the truth of God's word. He, he also mm -hmm. lumps just about every single creationist group out there as being under the same umbrella. So whether it's mm -hmm. the Discovery Institute, which is more of a intelligent design where they don't even tell you who the creator is. They just say right. looking at biology, looking at other things, there like has that, to be a yeah. creator. So they don't even they don't even go as far as what we would. And oh, yeah, he, he sure. lumps them into the same category mm -hmm. and does the same thing with other groups as well. Um, and I would no, say too, he says we're hostile to science, but we're one of the few museums, if not the only one, that will prevent, you know, present both views. We'll yeah. have the evolutionary theory and we'll have the biblical record and let people view both. And I even had a guest say to us the other day, I thought it was just so amazing how I was able to see both. You know, mm. and it's the Because we're not afraid to show both sides. Right. Right. Not afraid yeah. of it. Right, <laughs> exactly. Be in fact, we've said all, I remember Ken saying it for at least 20 years now, you know, teach evolution in the schools. Yeah, teach it warts and all. Teach it, show mm -hmm. the problems with it too. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's been a position of our ministry since really from the beginning. Mm -hmm. We're not saying you should all just be indoctrinated into one thing. You know, educate people. Yeah. And so the mm -hmm. Starting Points exhibit does exactly that here at the Creation mm -hmm. Museum. It lets you see both sides. It's not, it's not playing by a different set of rules like yeah. you talked about. Or different, a different rules for evidence. Universe. Yeah, a different universe and we have different sets of rules. Yes. No, we have the same rules. We have the same evidence. And that's our point in the Starting Points. Yes, the same rocks, the same trees, the same planet. We study over. the same things. <laughs> yeah, over. And we let you see. Here it is. And here's mm -hmm. from their perspective mm -hmm. because they've got on these glasses mm -hmm. of billions of years and evolution. Here's why we inter interpret it the way we do. That's not different different rules for evidence. It's the same evidence. Points. It's a different starting point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So there's, there's, but, but they can't acknowledge that because right. if he acknowledges that the debate's over. 
Right. Because yeah. then it becomes worldview versus worldview, which is what it really is. And, mm-hmm. and they want it to be science versus religion. Mm-hmm. And it isn't mm-hmm. that. It's worldview about the past, present, future versus worldview about the past, present, future with the same mm-hmm. evidence. Yeah, yeah. We have an article on the website that Bodhi Hodge wrote that goes in detail through the entire article and points out even some more of the, the fallacies and just different um, misinformation and, and lies it's that kind are of in long here. Because so there are a lot of fallacies. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can check that out on our website if you'd like to kind of see more um, and get Bodhi's take on, on that particular article. All right, this next crazy one. <laughs> oh my word. Comes from the Washington Examiner. Nurses advised to swap words such as breast milk for the more inclusive human milk. So this is from the UK, where midwives at a particular hospital in England have been directed not to use words like breastfeeding, breast milk. In order to be more inclusive to transgender patients, they should use words like human milk, chest milk, milk from the feeding mother, or milk from the feeding parent. Before you go on, (sighs) where else would milk come from on a human being? Right. <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with saying breast milk? That's mm-hmm. not breast isn't singularly female, right? I mean, <laughs> so even that alone is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. But it's so bizarre. Okay, <sighs> go on. I, okay. Sorry, I just. Yeah, so of course the reason they're doing this is because they want to, to be more inclusive and change the English language really to, to just get a, get re, completely get rid of the idea that there is a gender binary of male and female. Because as you go through this article, they talk about how like women are a disadvantaged group when it comes to healthcare, but then they, they go on to say that they're going to ref- use the word woman, they'll swap the word woman out for people to be more inclusive. So it's like our way of dealing with women in their view being disadvantaged is to just get rid of using the term women and just call them people because somehow that makes sense. We'll just like ignore them and get rid of them and that's supposed to help. Like it doesn't make any logical sense. And what do they mean when they talk about women being frequently disadvantaged when it comes to healthcare? They're almost certainly talking about abortion, what they call reproductive Mm -hmm. rights, that women in some countries, some places don't have the right to kill their child if they want to. Yeah, most likely, yeah. But when you look at... Uh, you know, finances being spent on healthcare in other areas when it comes to breast cancer versus uh, prostate cancer. Which one gets more funding? The breast cancer by mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. they're not disadvantaged in that mm-hmm. way, and there, there are just certain areas where, yeah, certain things affect men more, and certain things affect women more, and some. It, it, it's not always women are being slighted. It's, in this article, mm-hmm. it is re- so-called reproductive rights. That's well, what they're, they're, they're also about. telling they can't use the word mother, that they have to use the word birthing parent instead because we have to eliminate any type of gender identity right. completely. Yes, yeah. Except yeah, for, they still, except for the, the person writing and, and, and talking about still uses the word women. 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 They can't <laughs> even get away from it. They, they have article. to in order to find because, what they're talking right, about. Right, exactly. And there's another article that came out just last night um, that, I, that I added to the list here um, from Australia. Like what you were saying, this is from a top university in Australia where they've instructed their staff to refer to fathers as either the non-birthing parent or the non-gestational parent and refer to the mother as the birthing parent parent or the gestational parent. It's like, how much more can you erase someone's identity than just grouping them as birthing people over here, non-birthing people over there? And it's just utter nonsense. But it's all part of a postmodern worldview that seeks to deconstruct everything Mm -hmm. that has been there before and try to tear down all of these Mm -hmm. institutions and create chaos. That's what they're going for and that's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. That's why people jump on board no matter how ridiculous it sounds because if it's against 
what is traditional Judeo-Christian worldview, mm -hmm. then go for it. It doesn't matter how bizarre it is, yeah. you go for it because this it tears is just that insane. down. This, Especially it, when they say only 1% of the adults in England even identify as a transgender or non-binary. Right. You're talking such a small 99% would still prefer to use the normal English language, right? But, right? And refer yeah. to women as women, but mm -hmm. for the 1%, we have to change mm -hmm. the narrative. Yeah, yeah, and, and really, like you were saying, getting away from that biblical mm -hmm. worldview, because God's word is crystal clear. There is right. male and female, and we don't mm -hmm. need to go to these ridiculous terms like non-gestational parent, because God's word is truth. We can go back to what the word of God says, and it's very clear that there is male and there is female, right from the very beginning. That is how God mm -hmm. created us. Um, this stuff is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's really just nonsense. All right, this next one comes from LifeSite. YouTube shuts down LifeSite's channel, every video completely gone. So we've talked quite a bit on this program um, about censorship that's going on with big tech and the media where alternate viewpoints are being suppressed by different tech giants. Um, YouTube's been doing that for a while. Uh, but according to LifeSite News, um, which is a site we, we get some of our articles we talk about here um, on Answers uh, News from, they said that they just completely removed all of their videos. It wasn't like a temporary ban where they're like, oh, don't post this kind of content or we're going to you know, do whatever. They just deleted all of their videos. They had about 300,000 um, followers. I don't think they even and had a warning, did they? they? Was it just gone? They like, didn't I mention didn't, in the article mention that they did. I didn't mention any type of warning yeah. or disclosure that if you don't you know, change your narrative, we're going to. Right, yeah. It was just gone, I think. And then, of course, that severely limits their reach. Mm -hmm. Loads of people mm -hmm. go on to YouTube. Too. I mean, obviously, there's other platforms, but most people aren't on those other platforms. So YouTube right. is purposely trying to suppress, uh, which isn't the first time they've done this to LifeSite, suppress various content, but, but trying to suppress pro-life content. Yeah, it's just, it's typical. We've been seeing this of a lot of organizations that would be deemed conservative mm -hmm. in, in our culture, that they're being deplatformed or demonetized or all sorts of other things. And uh, that's, that's what they're doing. Now, a lot of times the response is, well, then just go somewhere else. That's true. That's what you need to do. And, and these, these groups are transitioning to mm -hmm. going to other places. Yeah, but they've got a list when there's the been no warning, when it. there's been no reason to, right, then, yeah. then yeah. it... Yeah. Thankfully, they said they've got all their videos backed up, so they still have access to all of those, but some of these you know, alternative sites, like we said, they just they don't have the same following, so they're not right. going to be able to reach the same, uh, same people, people that they could reach. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not even sure if you Google like a certain topic, and YouTube usually comes up right away if there's a video associated because with that topic, Google, right? but I don't right. think these other alternative sites are. Like, right. I don't think yeah. they'll, they'll even show up as being available. Right. You, know, you have yeah. to know to go there. You almost have to right. stop using Google altogether yeah. and use different searches that mm -hmm. aren't run by Google or something, which, mm -hmm. yeah. good luck yeah. with that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. so it's just a, just a reminder of, of the battle that's going on in the culture, mm -hmm. and um, just a reminder to continue to pray for some of these different groups that God will continue to help get the, mm -hmm. the message out there of, of the sanctity of human life in particular in regard to LifeSate News. They do a lot of that, helping people mm -hmm. realize the sanctity of human life, um, even though it's being censored and suppressed. All right, this next one comes from Express. Bible experts certain Tower of Babel real after compelling clue matched Genesis' story. Which I think, I mean, we're only a month and a half into 2021, but I think this wins the award for the most misleading headline of 2021 so far. I'm gonna, I put my vote on this one. It's pretty misleading. <laughs> I saw the headline, I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder what this, oh, they're not talking about this at all. Like, this is so inaccurate. It couldn't be more inaccurate. So. Yeah, so what they're talking about is there's a, in ancient Babylon, you know, the one that Nebuchadnezzar ruled over, so in the, um, the 500 BC, uh, they had a tower, a ziggurat named Edamanaki, 
and that was built with the brick, and it had uh, the bitumen for, for mortar, which is similar to what you talk, what the Bible talks about in Genesis 11, mm -hmm. which would have been at least 1,500 years earlier. Okay. Big gap of time. There's a huge <laughs> gap in time, and those things don't stand for very long because they're out in the desert, and the, that brick breaks down pretty quickly when the sand is hitting it, when the wind is going through. They don't stand for a very long time, and so th they're not even the same towers. Uh, but we know this one comes from from ancient Babylon during Nebuchadnezzar's time because it's got Nebuchadnezzar's name stamped mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. He had that on some of the bricks. Uh, now, Herodotus talks about this tower. He exaggerated the size of it by quite a bit, but um, it's, it is not the Tower of Babel. Okay? It's a different tower in Babylon that was at least 1,500 years later in history. And the, the guy that they have on this uh, article, Dr. Irving Finkel, he's a... He's a, he's a nice man. I had the privilege of debating him on the radio on Justin Brierley's uh, unbelievable show several years ago about the, the, the flood, uh, the biblical account of the flood, because he's the one, if you've heard about the, the round arc idea, he was the one who was promoting that and pushing that. In fact, we talked about that in the Flood Legends exhibit down at the mm -hmm. Ark Encounter. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had a debate about that on that program. But he's somebody who doesn't really believe a word of the Old Testament, at least not very much of it. He thinks that Genesis 1 through 11 was written after the Babylonian captivity or during the Babylonian captivity. So this is uh, sometime in the 500s BC. And uh, so he, he doesn't view this as being true history, Genesis 1 through 11. And th it's very common among critical scholars today to mm -hmm. say, oh yeah, these things were all written really for the last 200 years. This has been a popular view in, uh, in the academic circle to say that uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy were all written a thousand years after Moses. You know, maybe Ezra the scribe was the guy who compiled all of these things. And, and that's a popular teaching that's out there in, in a lot of these universities and in some of the seminaries. But it doesn't there, match with what Scripture teaches. No, it doesn't match what Scripture <laughs> teaches. The Bible tells us very clearly that Moses, the books of Moses, um, mm -hmm. Jesus refers to Moses being the author. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, we've got a, a resource here called Coming to Grips with Genesis. Terry Mortensen was one of the, the folks that compiled this. Uh, he's one of our researchers here. And uh, it's more of an academic book. It's, it's semi-technical, if you will. And they show that Genesis 1 through 11 is written in the exact same style with the same sort of terminology as Genesis 12 through 50. It's not a different author. Yeah. Okay, and there's so much research that's been done on this topic to show, no, 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 Genesis 1 through 11 is historical. It is mm -hmm. factual. Every, in fact, what we see about our ancient world lines up perfectly with Genesis mm -hmm. 1 through 11. And uh, so, no, the idea of the Tower of Babel did not come from Etymanonchi, in ancient yeah, Babylon. Yeah, what they're basically saying is when the Jews were in exile in Babylon, they saw this tower and that inspired them to write this myth, this legend about the Tower of Babel. And it's, so that's why this headline is so misleading because it's basically, oh, the Tower of Babel is true. But what they're really saying is, oh, it's a myth and they got inspiration from a real structure, but mm -hmm. the whole thing's a myth, which does not match what the scripture teaches at all. And no, and it doesn't match what we see historically. Event. In fact, what yeah. anthropologists mm -hmm. have found is that they've gone around the world and they've, they've um, been introduced to these different tribes, these different ancient cultures, mm -hmm. what we find is that these groups have legends in their past that seem very similar to the creation account that you find in the Bible. They a whole bunch of flood legends, hundreds and hundreds of flood legends. They're by far the most popular. You've, in fact, there's at least 23 Babel legends that we've counted from around the globe. Mm -hmm. uh, there are over 100 legends that talk about the reason man has, is wicked or the reason that man dies now has something to do with a serpent and or a tree. You find that all over the place. What does that all sound like? 
Sounds just like Genesis 1 through 11. And then right. from Genesis 12 onward, they don't have any of those details. There's no Abraham legend. There's no David legend. None of those things. Why? Which because what the yeah. Bible describes in Genesis 11 about the event at Babel is true. That mankind had a shared history at that point, and then they scattered around the globe. And they took that history with them. They passed it on. It, be, it gets embellished. It gets changed as it goes. But that kernel of truth is still there. And the, the Jews in the 6th century BC wouldn't have been able to make up something like this to account for all of those details because they wouldn't have even known those details were out there. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All and right. by the way, this article is not very well written either. They also, <laughs> they yeah. also attribute, we have, a, we have an article on Answers Research Journal, which does not necessarily represent Answers in Genesis. It's a research journal, so you can have competing views right. on yeah, that. Right, yeah, yeah. And they, they cite a researcher who does not work here, who's not writing for Answers in Genesis, and saying, no, the Tower of Babel was in a different location, which... It may have been in a different location. There's no guarantee that ancient Babylon is the same city right. where Babel yeah. was. Okay, that's it's a different. 1,500 years is a long time, yeah. and just because they have the same name, it doesn't mean it's the same place. There's two Caesareas in the Bible. There's two Antiochs in the Bible. It doesn't mean they're the same place. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's so disheartening too. Is you just look at if someone was just looking at the title and, and you know they were a non-believer and they said Bible experts are now certain that the Tower of Babel was real, that would make me think that the Bible experts didn't believe anything the Bible said either. Because it makes right, it yeah. seem like they don't even, the Bible experts themselves don't believe in the biblical authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. Why should I believe anything that they say? You know, and it, I know at the heart of Answers in Genesis, we just believe in biblical authority. God's word is true. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to find archaeological evidence or artifacts to mm-hmm. prove that the Bible's true. Right. It just helps to confirm yes. the yeah. truth of God's word. Mm-hmm. We start with God's word, not mm-hmm. the evidence. All right, this next one comes from CNN. Story of human evolution gets another rewrite. Shocking, I know. With DNA analysis of Chinese teeth. So the the story of human evolution has gotten a lot of rewrites. We've talked about a lot of them on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, This is in reference to a find from 2015 that at the time apparently was hailed as a stunning find. It was 47 teeth um, that were found in a cave in southern China, and they dated them at about 80,000 to 120,000 years ago, which would change a lot of the wildly accepted ideas about the out-of-Africa model and, mm-hmm. and how um, long ago people left Africa and sort of diversify and spread out over the, over the planet. Um, so this particular study from 2015 was saying, yeah, people were in China a lot earlier than we thought. And I love this line from the article. <laughs> Not so fast as the science of 2021. <laughs> like, science can't make up its mind. <laughs> well, it doesn't have a mind to make up. <laughs> That's a fallacy right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is another study that's using um, more dating methods. They only used one dating method previously. This is using multiple dating methods to look at these teeth. And it's saying, no, the teeth aren't that old. Um, They're only 16,000 to about 40,000 years old, somewhere in there. So it doesn't really change all this different stuff. But it's really complicated and we don't really know. That's basically how you can summarize the article. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's just another example or a good example of how things change. And so the evolutionists will look at this and say, see, but that's good. That's how, that's how science refines itself. You know, Bill Nye talked about that. And and you should be refining ideas. The problem is when it was presented in 2015, it's presented as fact that we know this. Right. Yes. Don't know this. The same thing's happening here. We know this. And then what happens when it gets refined a few years later, you've just been lying to everybody for this whole time, but you don't tell them that it's you know, subjective or that there's, that it might be subject to change. A lot of interpretation going on here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wanted to point out with this one is they, they through the whole article they're talking about how you know the, the story of human evolution is just so complicated and we can't really know and you know because we only have you know fragments here fragments there. Um, but if you start with the biblical timeline of history and the biblical framework that we're given that there was two people Adam and Eve created at the very beginning about six thousand years ago they had sons and daughters. Their sons and daughters had sons and daughters until you get to the event of the flood. The human population reduced to just eight people. Um, and then after that, you have the event of the Tower of Babel we just talked about, um, where you have the whole human population dispersed. If you start with that history um, and that timeline, you can actually make testable predictions mm-hmm. about what you'd expect to see. Um, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, who is a research scientist on our staff here, he's done this. There's a whole series on Answers TV and on YouTube. You can watch um, New History of the Human Race that's looking at um, the why. Chromosome inherited through the through the male, um, looking at it through the lens of a young Earth time scale, and you can actually see different historical events stamped into the DNA, and it's it's absolutely fascinating, and it's only possible if you start with God's words. So well, evolutionists cannot seem to get human history figured out, and they're constantly rewriting it, constantly overturning it. It's because they don't have the right starting point. We didn't evolve out of Africa. We're not related. Mm-hmm to the apes. Um, so if you start with the right timeline, you actually get, um, you're able to actually do observational science and, and, and do it properly. So I encourage you to, to go to Answers TV and check that um, series out and keep your eye out for the book that will be coming out yeah, uh, later year, this year. Right? Book, yeah. Yeah. So I've been following yeah. along on, on Ken Ham's Facebook page and I thought you guys would get, get a kick out of this. Who's the guy in the video? It's not Ken Ham because Ken doesn't have a speech impediment. And so he's referring to, I can't say my S's properly. So. No, it's not Ken Ham. He has, a, he has a cool accent and he's not as good looking. So, um, but anyways. Tim Chafee. Yeah. All right, well, that's all the time that we have for today, but we will be back next week. Uh, so join us then. Thank you so much.